90s basketball was a lot of fun playing against these dudes. They absolutely fought it every night. Five, four, three, two, one. Hill puts it on the floor. And stops anybody down. He brought the whole goal down. Matumbo embraces the ball in the unlikely upset. They're on their feet. A new NBA assist king, John Stockton. The crowd going crazy. To Michael, three, two, Michael, firing! What is happening, everybody? Welcome to the 90s Basketball Show. I am your host, Brian Swain. And for this episode, I am really excited to be joined by our guest who is coming to us from his home in the Dallas area. He was the 41st pick in the 1996 NBA draft and is one of 62 guys who played for the Grizzlies while I ran Vancouver. I am talking about Jason Sasser. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Everything everything is, uh, you know, still crazy with the pandemic, but I'm making do. Yeah, you got that right. Well, I, I guess, you. I mean, you're there in Texas and you're a high school coach right now. What kind of regulations do you guys have right now? Are you able to see your, your players uh, run any practices, things like that? Well, yeah, every, every school uh, district, and also every county uh, is different. So everybody has different different rules and guidelines that they're going by. But with us, uh, we actually gave our parents option to either send their kids in person or stay at home virtual. Uh, the kids that stay at home virtual that are in athletics like basketball or football or any other sport, they actually can do their classes virtual, but they still would have to come to the school every day uh, during one of our practice periods to participate. And, you know, I told some of my parents that, you know, if they didn't feel comfortable or didn't want to for health reasons that, you know, they could, their, their child could stay home, but they still would be able to actually, uh, you know, participate this year. And, you know, some parents make that decision, some don't. I'm sure this is going to be a challenging year for anyone in your position as a coach. Wish you the best of luck with everything there as you guys get things going in Texas. Um, of course, Jason, here on the show, we like to go back and revisit your career and players from your era. And Texas, of course, would be the place to start. That's uh, where you're at right now, where you came up, yes. where you went to college at Texas Tech. Now, when you were coming out of high school, Jason, was um, was staying in Texas something that was on your mind? Well, for me, that's 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 a great question, because in Texas, we have always had very good athletes, uh, football basketball, any other sport you can name. But most of our top athletes always went to uh, schools outside of Texas. Uh, back then, ACC was the number one college conference, um, Big East, because the East Coast and West Coast would get all the media. You know, it, was, it wasn't like it was today, like it is today where you have media outlets everywhere. But the East Coast and West Coast, they got a lot of the media hype, got a lot of love. And guys wanted to go play in those bigger conferences so they can get exposure to to be able to play on the next level, you know, if they had the skill set. So it wasn't a big thing uh, really to stay in Texas. Every now and then you would have some big names. I was actually a, you know, very big name. Today I would, today in high school, I would be considered like a five-star player. I was, uh, 
voted the best basketball player out of Texas my senior year. And I averaged like 30 points my senior year. So I had a phenomenal high school career. We won a state championship. But I decided on my own um, that I wanted to build Texas basketball back up. So I made a conscious decision. I was on my way to North Carolina State. Uh, I did early commit to them because, again, ACC was the number one conference in the nation at that time. And I wanted to play against the best of the best on TV as much as possible. But, you know, we had some, some things happen, and I ended up making a decision to come and sign with Texas Tech. And uh, it, was, it was a good decision for me. And a baseball pass, this will end it. The basket doesn't matter. Texas Tech survives by one. What a tremendous finish to this game. James Dickey and Texas Tech get their first NCAA win under Dickey's leadership, but not despite some scare from Northern Illinois. The 14th seed. Our genuine Chevrolet players of the games, Texas Tech's Jason Sasser, who calmly knocked down those two foul shots to Isis. So the 1996 NCAA tournament first round, you guys are the number three seed against the number 14 seed Northern Illinois. It was nearly an upset. Yes. Yeah, you made some big plays down the stretch in that. But what's what's it like when you're that higher seed? But really, I mean, people call them upsets, but I mean, it's a one game winner takes all. Really, we're dealing That's with right. kids who are on this stage for the first time. Anything's possible. Take me through that game. Yes, you, you're absolutely correct. Uh, it's, it's, it's a one game. Anything can happen. That's what makes uh, March Madness so, so crazy and so fun. Uh, but in, in, in our situation, we knew we were really good. We had only lost one game that year uh, to Eastern Michigan, and they had Earl Barkins and uh, a couple more NBA guys on that team. And they actually ended up going to the Sweet 16 that year beating, beating Duke. But we, we, we came in highly ranked. I think we were number three seed. We were still upset with that. We thought we should have been ranked higher. But again, the other bigger conferences got, you know, got denied. And that first game was against uh, Northern Illinois, and they came out ready. I mean, <laughs> and we, we came out a little flat, but uh, we were able to pull it out, you know, at the end. But it was, it, it was a good wake-up call for us. Like, we got to make sure we're ready from the very beginning. Yeah, the next round you beat North Carolina. So the first trip in school history to the Sweet 16, that means you get to the second weekend. So, I mean, you get to kind of enjoy yes. those few days. What was it like with the school and, and the, the energy around the program at that time? Oh, it was bananas. It was crazy. Oh, it was, it's crazy. It was just uh, the school was so excited. Uh, all we, Back then, it was cool because all the athletes, we had like a dining hall. So we all ate together. Uh, we all had only one weight room, you know, back then. Now everybody's separate. But back then, it was just so much love. We were winning. We had – our girls had won a national championship, um, you know, before in 1992, 90, I believe, 92, 93. But football was winning. Everybody was winning. But they were so excited for us. And we knew we were going to – we had beat North Carolina, a traditional powerhouse, and it was just unbelievable. And we knew we were getting ready to face uh, – you know, one of the fastest human beings in the world, Allen Iverson. So everybody was just talking about, you know, that game. 
You guys played a good game in that too, but that was the first trip to the Sweet 16. And I guess looking back on that now, where does that kind of take the place in the legacy of, of the program, considering that obviously Texas Tech today is a perennial contender to go to the Final Four? Yeah, so so a uh, couple of years, some years later, uh, Coach Knight, Bob Knight, ended up, I think, taking another team uh, as far as the Sweet 16. And then when uh, when Chris Beard got hired, Tubby Smith actually did a great job also. Uh, we had Tubby Smith, Gillespie during that time. But Tubby Smith really put a good good team together. And Chris Beard would, would attest to this. When he came in, uh, he, had a, he had a solid squad coming in because Tubby had built up the program. But Chris Beard took it to another level. And, and I was down there in Minnesota. And it was just, I think that first year we ended up getting maybe to the Elite Eight. Uh, and then that next year we ended up getting to the Final Four and then a championship game. So I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I'm up. I had I had some seats, you know, in the crowd, but I also uh, had 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 some seats with some friends in the suite. So I would go back and forth because I just like that. I like that crowd atmosphere. And and I was up there in the game. I thought the game was about to be over. All we had to do is make a shot or make a free throw or make a foul or get a stop. And I had my 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 Facebook Live ready to just go crazy on Facebook Live and 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 bam, it happened. <laughs> they came back and I think we ended up going to overtime and we ended up losing that game. So it was a it was a very, very hard heartbreaker. Yeah, that of course everybody uh was the um the 2019 national championship game against Virginia, the most recent national championship game that was played, of course, because it was canceled this year. Uh, but now do you see the Texas Tech can be in a position where it's with those top contending schools every year? Do you feel that way? Well, I, I believe that because uh, Chris and his staff and Texas Tech has has done a pretty good job making it a very attractive place. Um, you know, we I used to, whenever people don't understand that, uh, when people say, can you recruit? Yes, I was a great recruiter because when, when kids come on campus, the players have to show them around and tell them about the college and tell them about the atmosphere and how fun it is and why they should come. So now I think players around the nation understand the atmosphere and they're attracted to go to West Texas, uh, Lubbock, Texas, and just enjoy that total college atmosphere. It's like it's a college town. Uh, it's, not, it's nothing like it. Yeah, it's kind of the reverse of when you were coming up when the top recruits were leaving Texas to go to other states. Now the top recruits from other states are coming to go to Texas. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, yeah because it's a, it's a winning program. And that's, you know, that's, people always want to talk about front runners, but that's just how it is. If, if somebody starts to gain success, people want to be part of success. So we're just fortunate that we're, we're on top right now. While we were away, Sacramento Kings with the draft of Jason Sasser at number 41 overall. Texas Tech 6'5", 220, and the Southwest Conference Player of the Year with 19 and a half points a game and nearly eight boards. Your thoughts on Jason Sasser? No, I, I liked him. I liked him for uh, how hard he played at his college. And he was the guy, the main guy, I thought, for that team and how far they went. And when you look at their record this year, it was sensational. I got to ask now about your experience in the 1996 draft. You go to number 41 in the second round of Sacramento. What kind of indications were you getting heading into the draft? Were there a number of teams that have shown interest? Did anyone express to you that, you know what, if you're available here, we're going to take you? 
Well, uh, I knew at that time uh, I was I was I was good enough. I was a college All American. I knew I was good enough to be a first round draft pick. Um, but at that time, they only had Chicago camp, and at the Chicago camp, you had a guy named Marty Blake, and it wasn't like it is now with all the analytics, all the different people scouting throughout Europe, throughout all the colleges. He just had he had a lot of power at that time, and if you didn't go to Chicago, it was it, it could hurt you. And I think uh, that decision of me not going because I thought I was a lock in. Uh, first round draft pick because I did had go I did go to Phoenix for their senior camp in Phoenix and I thought that was enough. My agent was like, "Yeah, you're fine. You don't have to go." And I ended up slipping to the second round, so I'm very disappointed. But from that moment on, I just continued to grind and work hard to try to get a um, you know a, a long term NBA deal. But I ended up getting some guaranteed contracts, but never that long that long term deal uh, that I wanted. So I ended up playing a lot of my time. Uh, overseas for like a 13-year career. You, you got traded to Portland after Sacramento drafted you. Did you get to spend time in Portland's camp during that preseason? Yeah, I did. And again, I always, I always had the confidence. I knew I was an NBA player and good enough to play in the NBA. It was never a question. But sometimes it is numbers. So when Portland drafted me, Rick Carlisle was the assistant. P.J. Carlissimo was the head coach uh, at the time. And uh, they actually – they actually told me they were going to draft me. We, they could have maybe took me first round, uh, but I think they had maybe two first round picks, and they ended up using it on Jermaine O'Neal and uh, Marcus Brown maybe. And um, I was good there. I was having a great camp. But that summer, I think they traded for Rasheed Wallace and a Mitchell Butler. So you get those two veterans coming to camp. They had to make a decision whether to keep the, the veteran player, Mitchell Butler, or myself with, and they end up they end up choosing him. And but I had a phenomenal camp. I uh, was doing well, and I guess Paul Wolford, Mo McCone, he used to coach the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA a while back, maybe in the 70s and 80s. He was the head coach of a CBA team, and Paul was there uh, watching the camp, and he was like, "Man, you play phenomenal. We're gonna draft you. You may not want to play in the CBA, but we're gonna draft you out with our first round pick, uh, the number eight spot. And if you want to play," you're more than welcome to come down to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and work your way back up and get your NBA gig. And, and that's what I did. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the CBA because, of course, CBA doesn't exist now. And it's an entirely different world with the G League, and each team has its own affiliate. So they're able to keep an eye on players, able to develop players, able to send players back and forth between the NBA team and the G League team. That yes. didn't exist back then, of course, right? And I have to imagine it would be really difficult because the guys who are coming out of the CBA were pretty much getting 10-day contracts, and they try and stick around. But quite often when that 10-day contract expired, that would, that would be it. How did you approach it back then without the benefit now of the G League of trying to establish yourself and build to a career in the NBA out of the CBA? Well, it was, again, everything uh, is a grind. Everything is hard work. When you have total confidence in yourself, um, again, I turned down um, a lot of money. Let's say, you know, over millions of dollars to play overseas because overseas still were play, pay, paying well. Uh, they would sign you the two-year deal. They wouldn't do the five-year, seven-year deals, but they would give you two-year deals. Um, so you just knew that, hey, if I wanted to make a go at the NBA, I'm going to put a maybe two or three years in, uh, work my butt off, and see if I can find a place to stick. And, again, it's timing. Dallas Mavericks gave me a uh, 10-day at that one time, but right before, the Dallas, right before I signed, or right after I signed, the Miami Heat 
had offered me to come up there. If I wait a day later and go to Miami Heat with Pat Riley, the hard work I am, the hard work he liked, I stick with Miami, no question. The next year, Pat Riley did bring me back. He brought me back up that next year. But little things like that. You hear the stories now. You got the guy that's the starting center uh, for the Houston Rockets. You hear those stories all the time. But it's just a numbers game. And if you can get, get that opportunity to play, I need to be great. But if you get an opportunity to play overseas, make really good money, and, 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 and play basketball professionally, that's also, that's also a good deal. You, you got a lot of uh, accolades in the CBA. You were the rookie of the year, 96-97, and then uh, you were an all-star in 96-97 and 98-99. Um, I think you led the CBN scoring even that one year, too. I, I did. I don't know where you get. I don't know where you're getting all these numbers from, but you're making me feel good. You got. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, what you know, the CBA fascinates me. Like I say, I mean, it's it's from another time now, and I think the legend of the CBA grows the further on we get from when people actually played in these CBA can tell stories. But like I've heard people who've been part of it compare it to the movie Semi Pro, almost. Um, I tell you the truth. At that time, the CBA was the second best basketball league in the world uh, after the NBA because that's, that was at a time to where guys could always go overseas and make money. A lot of guys turned down money the first year, second year, whatever. But at that time, you had the best players out of college, the best players that were still trying to get to the NBA playing in the CBA. So it was, it was one of the toughest leagues in the world. We, we, you could take a CBA team and go match them up anywhere around the world and we will win. Even if you got an all-star team and played against the eBay team, you could compete. And they do that now with the D-League, uh, with the G-League now. It used to be the D-League when I coached in the D-League. But it's the G-League now. They have a team playing the summer leagues now. So that lets you know the level of uh, – and they would win games against other NBA teams. It lets you know the level of, of just basketball players, great basketball players that we have, have in this United States of America. The level of basketball is no doubt great, and you can tell that just by if you're looking like the CBA alumni and all the guys who came out of there. What was the lifestyle like in the CBA? I imagine it was a lot more of a grind. Oh, now, now that's, where, that's where it was totally different uh, from the NBA. So uh, in the NBA, we would, we would we, you know, most teams now, they all, everybody has their own, their own private jet, but they still would have private jets. Some teams just would charter or share a jet, but the jets would be, Fabulous! You would leave after the game. You would stay in five-star hotels. You would get, uh, you would you would stay five-star hotels, but you would also have your own room. Uh, just that's that's another biggie. Uh, you would get a ton of meal money just to pay for your, you know, for your expensive meals at the five-star hotels. Uh, <laughs> if you so, but the CBA, we were staying in one, two-star hotels, motels. Uh, let me put it that way, motels. Uh, we would travel by bus. Uh, some teams had more money than others. So our team, Sioux Falls, we were like the number one team when intended. So, and our owners had a pretty good budget. So we would fly most places, but some teams would bus places. So you had to really love basketball uh, to, to, to go through that grind. And it, it prepared you. It made you so mentally tough. So when I got to the NBA, when I was playing the NBA, oh, it was nothing. I'm used to playing, flying in, leave, waking up at 5 in the morning playing a game, waking up at 5 in the morning, going to play a back-to-back -back somewhere in another small city somewhere in the United States of America. So the NBA, it was, like, it was like luxury once I got there. You know, guys that never experienced the CBA, like my younger brother, he was a first-round draft pick, 
he did he didn't know what it felt like to be it once you're just used to the NBA but the CBA just made you so mentally strong to where when you did get to the NBA you were ready for anything yeah when you got to go through that grind I guess you probably appreciate it that much more when you get to the next level right you you do you do and that's you can ask anybody that's played in the in the CBA anybody that's played in the G League anybody that's played in the uh, D League the ones that actually have multi-year contracts in the NBA they they are appreciative every day. Uh, even like a uh, Patrick Beverly, uh, you know guys like that. You're going to see that chip on their shoulder every night. You guys were. You said you were in a good situation there in your on your team. Yeah. Do you have any like uh, funny stories about any of the other places you went to? We would go to cities where actually they were at that time so small that like everything was shut down like at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. You know, just nothing to do and. And it was quiet cities, cities in hours, just cities that you would never heard of in the United States because we're used to the popular cities. But it was good experience for us because we it's just like it was just like a minor league baseball. You know, they have these 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 teams in all these little small cities and you would never know of the city unless you actually visited there. Or you had family there. So it was it was a good experience. But now I had a lot of different stories. Us just having to get pizza at night, order late Chinese food, not having, you know, nowhere to go, just hanging out with each other, doing things together. So it was just things like that that, that made us strong and built built more of like a family atmosphere. Those, those were my brothers. Your first game in the NBA, January 7th, 1997, with the San Antonio Spurs at the New Jersey Nets. What's your first memories of being in the NBA? Oh, well, in the NBA, again, to me, it was never like it was to me, it was still basketball. Again, my, yeah. my skill level, my confidence was and the guys knew me. I knew all the guys I would play with them during the summer. So to me, it was like, OK, I'm just I'm just going to take advantage of my opportunity and, and do what I do. And the coaches never did tell me not to do anything. They knew I could score. Uh, if the opportunity was there, I would score. But, you know, if you play with a guy, San Antonio Spurs, we had a phenomenal squad, but everybody was hurt that year. Uh, David Robinson was hurt. Avery Johnson was playing. Sean Elliott was hurt. We had Dominique Wilkins on that squad. Uh, he was he was he was kind of hurt. So we had we were losing a lot of games. But what ended up happening is uh, they end up going to the lottery and voila, Tim Duncan next next year and championships after that. So <laughs> yeah, the rest <laughs> is history, it. right? In fact, that's, it was just this year was the first time they missed the playoffs since then. That's, so that's crazy. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's, that's insane. And Sashu on the free throw. This fellow's really fought hard to, to make it into the NBA. Came out of Texas Tech in 96. He's had uh, several tries, but always ended up back in the CBA, and he's hoping to stick here in Vancouver. There's only 62 guys that played for the Grizzlies when they were in Vancouver. So you were one of them in that unique situation in 98-99 when the lockout happened and the start of the season was delayed. So take me down the path of how it was that you came to be a Vancouver Grizzly. Okay, so uh, it, was, it was a lockout season. So for, the, for any, anybody that was under NBA contract, it was locked out. But the fortunate thing about, about me is the CBA was still going on. So at that time, I was still playing. We were still playing games. I was in great shape. Uh, I had came home maybe for about uh, – I knew my agent um, My agent wanted to 
top agents in the NBA right now, Mark Ballerstein. Uh, he was um, he was uh, talking to different teams and and trying to get me to the best situation. So I guess he ended up talking with the Grizzlies at that time, and the Grizzlies was like, "Yeah, we would definitely give him a legit shot to make the team if he comes in and does what he needs to do." And um, I end up getting a guaranteed contract and staying in Vancouver. It was beautiful. Vancouver is beautiful. But I was I just had an advantage because I was in shape. So I came home for about two weeks knowing I was getting ready to go prepare for camp. And I was down here working out with the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, as I'm playing, the NBA guys are like, man, Sass, man, you 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 in shape already. <laughs> like, yeah, man, we've been we've been playing. You guys have been sitting out. We've been, I've been playing, so I, I came into camp ready to go and end up doing uh doing really well and impressing the coaches. Was that your first time in Vancouver? It was. It was. Some people say that the team really never got a fair chance to stick around there. What was your impression of Vancouver? It was still really early. I don't think it would be fair to say it was a basketball city, but was there an energy in that city that it could one day become a good basketball town? I, I believe so. Uh, I know, I know uh, Canada, you guys are, is number one sport is hockey. So hockey and basketball have some similarities, but they also have some polar opposites too. So it's just different. But I think uh, in time, uh, the Canadians would have grew on, on Vancouver. The Vancouver people in that city would have started to support, especially once they started uh, gaining some success. And, you know, you, we see that now with Toronto, but no, it was the same. It would have been the same in Vancouver if they would have stuck around. So here comes the US, a mixture of European-based players and, and CBA players. This fellow, Jason Sasser, is one from the CBA from Quad City Thunder. The USA going to an on-ball screen here. Oh, they're just looking, trying to get it in low. Sasser on the roll. Well, he's showing uh, plenty of moves to the Australians so far and causing plenty of problems. We talked about the lockout. One of the, the side effects from that lockout actually created an opportunity for you to play for Team USA in 1998. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you, 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 have, you have all the stats. <laughs> well, I'll reset this for everybody is that they originally planned to send the team of NBA superstars like they had done for the Olympics and for the World Cup yes. in 94. But the lockout, they decided they weren't going to, and they were going to put together the best team of players who were not in the NBA. When did you first kind of get the sense that this might be an opportunity for you? Okay, so um, before then, uh, once the lockout came, once the lockout came, we knew that uh, if you if you were under NBA contract again, that you could not play. So they, they did want to take the best of the best NBA guys. Uh, so what they had to do is they had to get the best players in the world from the United States that were not that was not on the eBay contract. So we ended up going to Chicago, and it's about a, maybe 100-plus guys. Uh, I think, I don't know if we stayed there three days or five days, and it was just grueling workouts and competition, uh, grueling workouts and competition every day. And I ended up, you know, rising to the top with the other 11, 12 guys, and um, we ended up getting selected for the, for the USA team, and, and it was just a great honor. That championship was in Greece. Yes, we were in Greece that year. 
Well, I mean, we had we had stops in Italy, Greece, uh, Monte Carlo. That was another stop, but they were expecting the multi-millionaire NBA guys, you know, there to go gamble. And and when they got us, you know, we had some guys making really good money, but not not that type of money, sixty, eighty million dollars compared to maybe some millions and hundreds of thousands. So it was it was different for them. In the last 20 years or 22 years since then, we've seen the NBA is now truly a global game and, you know, there's tremendous players and countries everywhere. What did you find the level of competition was like? You won a bronze medal there. Do you think that was about what you guys were expected to do? No, 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 no. See, the thing, um, I actually have a gold medal also. So we, I won a gold medal in the, in the, um, the games before that, the Goodwill Games. So I have a gold medal in that and we won there. But the team we put together, you had guys that played in NBA, guys that played overseas. So we understood how the European game was. Uh, so they put a, they put together Rudy Tomjanovich was our head coach. Um, Dale, Dale was one of our assistants. Lon Kruger, that's the head coach of Oklahoma now, he was an assistant. Uh, Dale Harris was the top assistant. So we had really good coaching staff. We had a, a real good team. We knew we could win the gold. Uh, you know, they called it the dream team. Right. This this was a joke. You know, the, the best guys they call the dream team. We call ourselves the, the real dream team because we all had dreams and aspirations of, of playing long in the NBA. So we knew we could win the gold medal. We just we were up, uh, I guess, playing Russia in the semis and they end up coming down, making the last second shot to beat us. Uh, they had jumped in the zone and I, I, I messed with Rudy, you know, all the time. Rudy, he took me out the game at that time and. I, you, you should have left me in the game. You should have left me in the game. We would have won. But uh, we ended up winning the next game and winning the bronze in, instead of the gold. But, no, we, we had gold expectations because we knew we knew what the European game was, was in life. So you you were able to establish a, a relationship with Rudy T out of that? Rudy T and Dale Harris. So Dale Harris, uh, both of them, even Lon Kruger and everybody else that was a part of it. But Dale Harris actually is the one that hired me to uh, coach. He was the head coach of the uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, G League team. So he actually, I called him up and said, hey, I've been, you know, in coaching and this and that. He was like, he signed me on the spot. Uh, that's the type of man he is, great integrity. He signed me on the spot. Uh, and I was able to coach in the uh, G League some years ago. You did play, as you mentioned, you played a lot um, after that in Europe. What I think is really cool is you got a chance to play with your brother. You mentioned your brother, uh, Gerald, earlier, who played a bit, of, uh, who was drafted in the first round and played with Orlando. But you guys got to w play together, and uh, you won a, a championship overseas? Yeah, yeah, man. We, uh, we actually, I had retired in 2005 because um, I had two herniated discs in my back. Um, just made so much pain. I really couldn't move a lot. And what I, I rehabbed for a couple of years, probably never did play basketball, maybe over seven times in those two years because my back was just in so much pain. But I ended up rehabbing. I didn't want to get surgery. Went to about three or four doctors. And the other doctors told me, hey, before we do surgery, just rehab. So I rehabbed really hard, came back out of retirement, played a couple more years in the CBA. I tried to come back you know, make good money. And they were like, hey, you, we ain't seen you in two years. We're not going to pay you this amount that you want. So I had to go back and prove myself. And on that journey, when I came back, I ended up going to uh, Kuwait with my younger brother. Um, and again, I don't know what it is, but they, they pay really well over in Kuwait. I don't know if it's the all money or not, but uh, <laughs> I went over there with him and we, uh, 
and we um and we ended up winning the championship over there, man. It was it was it was phenomenal. It was great. So how many years have you been in coaching now? Oh man, this is going on maybe ten plus ten plus years. I know I've been here at Red Oak for five years. I okay. was at Cedar Hill a year. Uh before that I was with the Legends a while back and I just been coaching I was before that I was coaching AAU, YMCA. I just love coaching. So I was coaching coaching girls, coaching young guys, just just always like giving back and just teaching people the game. When did you first get the coaching bug? Oh, great question. I, I didn't have the coaching bug. After I retired the second time, I told myself I'm getting away from basketball. I don't want to have anything to do with basketball because uh, taking my family back and forth uh, overseas, not having to homeschool, having to put them in international schools, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. You know, on the wife and your kids, they have to they have to deal with a lot. So when I came home, I just wanted to settle down. Uh, I, I was always in real estate, mortgages, uh, same thing I'm doing now. and just wanted to just sit back and just be a regular guy working in, 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 in real estate. And uh, after a couple of years, two, three years, I guess I just felt like I wanted to get back to the game. And that's when I decided to go ahead and go back into coaching. And my kids also helped me with that. I wanted to also coach my kids. So tell me a bit about your kids then. Your son's on on the team with you right now? Yeah, he was. He graduated with me. Uh, He graduated last year. Uh, He was here all four years with me. Uh, They were like, you're a varsity coach. Why don't you put your son on varsity as a freshman? I was like, that's not how basketball works. I I wouldn't do more damage to him doing that. He has to be ready to play at that level. So he was able to make varsity uh, his sophomore year. And I also had my nephew play with me. And he's doing really well at the University of Houston right now. He's a he's a he's a star out there. So uh, I turned the program around. We went in a lot of games, and I'm just I'm just enjoying myself uh, coaching right now. Yeah, your nephew there at the University of Houston, uh, Marcus Sasser. Yeah, he's definitely he's 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 a pro. We're just working working on him right now. He, he'll come back his sophomore year. We just hate that he didn't get a chance to uh, play in March Madness last year. He would have he really he really would have showed a lot. <laughs> okay, then why don't we play each other, Martin? Let's let's do that. Your team against mine. How about that? Would you stop it? <laughs> you are killing me. Are you serious? Yes, I am serious, Baby, Martin. Baby, my jump shot is like that. <laughs> to close out here, Jason, I want to try something new up here for the 90s basketball show. And okay. What I'm going to do is going to ask you some of your favorite things from the 90s. So okay. I'll throw a few out at you here. Do you have a favorite 90s musical artist? Favorite 90s musical uh, artist? Uh, I don't want to just say one artist, but... Well, you can name that, more that, than one. That was like doing a little hip-hop, the new hip-hop era, you know. So I, I just I just like that type of hip-hop and R&B during the 90s. It was some really, really good music. I would agree. Do you have a favorite 90s movie? Movie. My movie is Remember the Titans, but it didn't come out in the 90s. So I would say uh, maybe Crush Groove. If it can, Crush Groove, Breaking, uh, movies like that. But that could have been 80s. I don't know exact year. Those decades been together, but that's that's all I can remember right now. But I would say something like sports, centered around sports at that time during the 90s. Remember the Titans is my favorite movie right now, though. Uh, last one for do you have a favorite 90s TV show? Oh, that's easy. 
Martin. All right. <laughs> yeah, Martin. Martin, that's that's easy. I had I before you let me go. My coach, we used to have study hall. See, this is before DVR, and we used to have study hall at seven o'clock at Tech. I say, Coach, you don't you know that Martin comes on at seven? <laughs> Which I gotta watch Martin, Coach. I can't. We I gotta watch Martin. So he he, he worked with me a little on on that. Hey, Martin, uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. He, they, yeah. he, he, he's still doing it. He's still doing it. He is still doing it. Him and Will, good to see him back together. Maybe feel young again for a minute. Uh, yes, sir. Hey, I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun talking to you, Jason, going down uh, memory lane. Uh, thanks for taking the time and hoping to get a chance to talk to you again in the future. That sounds good. We'll, we'll stay in touch. Perfect. Thank you very much, Jason. Take care. All right, thank you. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. A reminder, you can find all episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and online at tsn1260.ca. That'll do it. We'll catch you next time on the 90s Basketball Show.